Hello and welcome to the Society for Acute Medicine's podcast. Here we discuss topics, cases and anything new and upcoming in the world of acute medicine. This is our view and take. Remember to always do your own reading around the topics we discuss. Enjoy! Hello everyone, so we're here again for another podcast episode. Today you've got me, Mike and uh, Vicky and, and we are going to interview Nick Scriven. For those of you that don't know, Nick is uh, the most recent past, or has just finished his tenure as past president of the Society for Acute Medicine. So we thought it would be good to get uh, an interview with him and some of his thoughts. So over to Vicky to start. Um, so, yeah, Nick, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Um, now, it's a bit of a running joke amongst the, the group of the podcast team that um, I'm quite old. Um, but happily, we won't have that today because you make me feel positively young most of the time, Nick. Start with a compliment. But what I was, when I was thinking about doing this interview, I was thinking about um, acute medicine because it is still a, a new specialty. So um, when you first started training, acute medicine wouldn't have been a specialty. So I'm quite curious as to how you kind of got into acute medicine. Uh, yeah, you're right. It didn't exist. And when I was a registrar, it was general medicine was the thing and I got a pre you probably have never heard of calmanization where registrars and senior registrars just became registrars so I was appointed many years ago to a registrar training program in general medicine and respiratory medicine with three years across general medicine stroke and respiratory medicine at that point there was this thing called calmanization happened where everyone decided whether they want to be an academic or not and I was Someone had a word in my ear, which was just academia wasn't the thing for me. I was much better with actually doing patients rather than papers, with which I quite agreed. So I moved into, it was respiratory and general medicine, SPR training, but really loved the on-call, really loved sorting out the acute medicine bits. I worked at Nottingham City, which was a small outpost in Nottingham, and they actually had a, I wouldn't call it an AMU, but it was a, a four-trolley bay for clerking, seeing and reviewing patients. That was our little kingdom. And that's why I sort of fell in love with the acute medicine, even though I didn't know what it's called. And then someone else had a word in my said, yes, you're not gonna be an, you're not gonna be an academic respiratory doctor. Do a couple of papers, present them, but don't bother with an MD. You'll be fine. Famous last words when it came to applying for jobs. Ah, you've not got an MD, we don't want you. But then this job came up in West Yorkshire in Halifax, which was labelled acute medicine with some specialty interests of your choice okay and i've been here since 2001 and then when did you first hear about the society for acute medicine when did that first come into your radar probably about two or three years later we were a site that was doing same day emergency care in 2001 for dvts we had a very old-fashioned machine called a venometer and a well score and we were sending people home on low molecular weight heparin to have their scans. Revolutionary. Yeah, it was at the time. Sponsored <laughs> by the, it was the Inoxaparin rep. And they said, oh, we've got a meeting that might interest you. It's called this Society for Acute Medicine. It's a two-day event down in Nottingham. We're sponsoring it. Would you like us to pay for you to go? Because you're doing lots of work for us. Well, yeah, that'd be good. So that's when I first came across acute medicine and went to this meeting in Nottingham and felt right at home no, we took some nursery and they got kicked out of the hotel at three o'clock in the morning for being noisy. So we probably did <laughs> quite well. 
<laughs> Nothing really changed for some conferences then. <laughs> so um, then I guess the next question would be then, so then how did you get involved in SAM Council? Uh, it was almost fate. Being one of the early people, I was turned into TPD in Yorkshire because there was no one else. And the, the acute medicine rotation was set up by a cardiologist initially who said, oh, do you want to be my deputy? And then he, I said, OK. And about 12 months later, he said, oh, it's all yours. So I became the <laughs> de facto TPD. And Chris Rosevere, a couple of years later, set up, before it's a speciality in its own right, set up an interest group, he called it, to meet at SAM conferences called the TPD Interest Group. So it starts off as a group like that and then mutated into what's now the SAC. Right. At that time, Sam Council was this thing that was controlled by the big beasts, the Derek Bells, the Mike Joneses, and that sort of person. I thought, gosh, that's not anything I'll ever be clever enough to join in with. <laughs> and then they had, they had these roles called the consultant rep or, or the non-something consultant rep. I thought, oh, why not go for that? That's a, that seems to be sort of minister foot without portfolio. <laughs> and I applied. And the first time I didn't get voted in, I came second. So a year later, the incumbent resigned after the first year and went for it again and got in. And then right. it's been sort of progression ever since. The treasurer at the time was Deepak Batia, and I knew him because he worked in Yorkshire. And he said, oh, I'm resigning as treasurer soon. Why don't you apply to be treasurer? So I did and was unopposed. Right. So it was roughly two years later, the, the elections for VP, et cetera, et cetera, came up. And I think it was Mike or Chris or even Phil at the end of one council meeting, I felt this thud on my shoulder in someone's hand saying, he said, about time you applied. <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> so before I hand over to Mike to explore a bit more about your time on council, um, did you ever sort of regret that decision? Never, not one day. It was, it's been, it was nine years that I really enjoyed and wouldn't have swapped. So if anyone wants to do it, do it. Thanks a lot to you. So, so, so thinking back on that nine years or so on council, what what's your kind of best bit if you you like during your time on council? What's the best thing you think you were involved in? I think looking back, it's comparing the progress of the speciality and the society from if you look at where, I, where we were <clears throat> nine years ago to where we are now and to being part of that growth, dissemination and coming into importance is a really, it's a journey and a story that's well worth keeping in mind. I suppose the biggest one event was getting our first invite to the Department of Health for our first meeting there with someone like Steve Powis or it was one of the one of the under ministers we first met. I think getting those first steps in was probably the biggest thing, the biggest one event. Um, and what do you think has been the biggest challenge you faced in that time? It was getting those those baby steps and then keeping them and getting it in, trying to transform from the people that were saying, this is wrong, we're being, we are, we are very angry with this, we want to do something, we want you to do something, to then actually being the people now that we actually can perhaps do something and set it, trying to get a mindset that supports both our members but also our objectives. One of the things that I, 
I'm just thinking about it's quite funny. So I remember going to Amsterdam, and I remember some of it anyway. <clears throat> and you were president there, and I remember sitting in the audience when you stood up and started speaking Dutch, and I might have been slightly hungover and didn't know if I was in the right meeting. But <laughs> I thought I might have gone to the wrong conference room. But um, it, it was like, for me, when I eventually did then get on to council, it was like meeting a celebrity for the first time. <laughs> did you find that when you first joined? It was, it was oh, yeah. To hear yourself like, oh, I wasn't like the Derek Bells or the Mike Jones or anything, and it right. um, it was weird for me walking in the first. So you felt that as well? Oh, very much. I don't think I said a word in the first council meeting. I just saw them batting it backwards and forwards, up and down, with some very loud, very important people there thinking, oh, I can't contribute to this. And then a meeting later, perhaps say something that wasn't listened to. Then the next meeting actually get listened to, but ignored, and then gradually build it up. <laughs> We we just carried on ignoring you, didn't we, Nick? Yeah. <laughs> now you tell me. <laughs> and what's um so when you were in you talked about getting those baby steps. Did you ever feel like there was something that you really wanted to achieve and achieve sort of as part of being president? Did you have like a, a vision or a sort of thing that you I think to? I think in the back of my head it was always we need to now be part of the decision makers. We need to get we need to be the people that are asked for our opinion. Everyone else tells us what to do, but we've got to try and get ourselves in there. And that's what we set out to do <clears throat> through the media strategy of creating waves, getting noticed, causing ripples, to getting invited into these meetings. Yeah. And I guess the next thing that, that leads quite nicely into is where you see acute medicine going in the future, what you sort of see that shaping into. And what you think the most important things to keep mentioning up? I think we're in a pretty. I think we're securing what we are. I think we're. Is it risky? We're at we're at a crossroads where we can either go full pelt into the establishment, or maintain a bit of our. We're the upstarts. We're shouting more, and we've, it's going to be something that's going to be very carefully managed. So if we stop shouting we will lose people looking at us. But we can't afford to rock the boat as much as we have done when we're actually in the decision-making processes. So it's a very, it's, I think it's got quite a difficult balancing act now for the next couple of years. If we want to be part of it, we don't want to be ignored, but we run a risk of fading away if we're too too nice to people. Mike, did you have any other questions? Um, so, So I think with that, again, you know, what what do you think is the, the biggest challenge facing acute medicine over the next few years? Workforce, workforce, workforce. Because <clears throat> if you, I was one of the younger consultants when it first started, and I'm not that far off quitting within the next cycle of parliaments and things. And the people of the my age is Chris Rosevis, Mike Jones, Bills, will all be stepping back and starting to retire. So it's people coming through to fill all those other people who are really famous and good, take on their roles of responsibility and being the policy makers and the people that NHS England, NHS, whatever, go to as their go-to people. And it's starting to energise the middle tier of consultants, not the new appointed, but the ones who've been in jobs for five to ten years to take the next step and build on what we've got and take the responsibility onwards. And, and thinking, sorry, thinking workforce with the pressures that we all know are going on in all of the units across the country, 
you're privileged to kind of still be involved in the SAC and actually the recruitment lead for recruitment and interviews and stuff. How do you feel we're doing on that side of things and, and just recruiting the next, next generation? I think we've done a bit better over the last couple of years. I mean, in the first few years, we had a lot of recruitment of people who had us as second and third choice. I think year on year, we're managing to recruit people who actually put acute medicine first. I think we've been quite overwhelmed the last couple of years by the responses we've had, for whatever reason. We've been able to choose the people we want to have the jobs and not just give it to everybody who wanted a job. I think it's been a, we've got influence in recruitment at last and that we've managed to persuade them that they want to ask for commitment to the thing we've got in this commitment to specialty so we could actually mark people who say, I want to be in a cute position higher than people who've done, I don't know, a thousand angiograms but couldn't get a cardiology job. To name one. Mm-hmm. So I think we're actually in a good place. New curriculum is going to be good. It's going to create even more of our own identity. I think that's going to be a big selling point that we're now completely equal. We've been going for a good few years now, but we're now divergent from general medicine, our own special thing, and people can see what we stand for in it. So I guess what I want to ask now, and it's probably sort of a a finishing off question, um, is going back to your point about those sort of people that we want to get onto some council, that we want to shape the future. Um, There's going to be people listening to that who may have not even considered it, maybe considered it, and then similar to like you're saying, thought, oh, I couldn't possibly do that, you know. So what advice would you give to people about that, getting onto some council? Get involved in something, whether it's regional representation, national representation, looking out for a project, joining the research committee, the QI committee, you get to see faces, join the Samba team, do some get involved in something. It doesn't have to be go straight to council, but get involved in the workings, do a project, volunteer for a nice group, something that shows you how things work. And then when the opportunity comes along, Put your name forward. You've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. And I guess some people might be feeling a bit burnt out now. We've had a, a pretty, I don't like that phrase, but it's there, isn't it? And we've had a really tough two years. And the idea of doing anything additional might make people think, oh, gosh, I couldn't cope with anything more. What would your answer to that be? It is extra. It's responsibility. But it's not your day job. It's something that's completely different. It's a change of mindset. You get to meet your peers from around the country. You're all suffering the same things, and you get to learn that. You're not in isolation. Part of the joys is actually meeting all your other people on council, knowing that our part of the world is no different to anyone else's part of the world, and we're all in it together. And doing things for council, it just changes your mindset. You think of something different. You have different priorities. takes your mind away from the day job. You come away from it tired the first night, but then re-energised to try and do things yeah I, I don't know about mike but i'd 100 agree with that it, it's yeah. almost like a change is better than a break or it, it just it's it, like you say it is additional work and you'd be foolish to think it isn't but it's different work and it it has its own rewards just like our day job does as well yeah so if you could go back in time and meet yourself as day one as a consultant you've just been appointed to halifax what would you say to yourself? Whenever you, feel, whenever you feel as though it's not working, it will work out. 
you'll have a fabulous team around you. And if you're if you're feeling miserable, stuck, go and ask your teammates. Go and ask your nursing sister. Go and ask your matron. These days, go and ask social media if you dare. <laughs> but but I think the best thing about being in acute medicine in acute medicine unit is you're not alone. There's always someone to talk to, always someone to bounce ideas off, always someone to pick you up. Mm-hmm. And you won't be saddled with all the ologists doing the take forever. <laughs> <laughs> when I started in Halifax, I more or less did every morning on AMU, but the afternoons were covered in rotation by the cardiologists, the respiratory, the endocrine, the gastro. So I put all the plans in place, playing at being an acute medic, you know, I don't know really what it was. Then come down on the next day and it all been changed. I think, what, what? They've kept them all in. So once you've got a critical mass, it's great. I guess that's the other thing, isn't it? That we, we constantly feel like we need to um, prove what our special skills yeah. are. And it's just that. It, it, if it could be one word, it would be pragmatism, really, wouldn't it? Yeah. A lot of the time. Um, yeah. And just having that overall picture. Yeah. yeah. Mike, anything else? I'm struggling for other questions, really. I think it's just nice to hear kind of Nick reflecting. And yeah. Like I say, thinking he's the. It's interesting hearing him say that he walked into a room and all these great people. And as you yeah. say, I remember walking into my first council meeting with you and you were this. A uh, big important person. I've never thought imposter syndrome is a big thing. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And it's, I suppose, being a VP or a president, it's almost being able to act it, even if you don't feel it. Yeah. It's all you have to put on the, like being a consultant leading your team. It's, yeah. You put on the work face or the town council face and you do it. Yeah. <laughs> It, it it has shocked me a bit actually that anybody else felt like that. It is it is interesting, isn't it, that we all do deep down a little bit. Yeah. Well, Nick, I think um, we'll probably wrap up there. And um, it's it's always it's it, it, it was sad when you left council. I have to say it was a, a big loss for all of us. But I think it's good the way that council works. That yeah. you, as soon as you finished your two years as past president, then then off you pop. Um, so yeah, that we that's all. You're get, Yes, you have to get new blood in. Um, but um, it was a great pleasure working with you. For oh, thank you, time. and you, and Mike, and the rest. Yeah, um, and I'm sure we'll keep um, in touch with lots of other bits and pieces. Yes, I'm certain I'll be seeing so you around. Soon. <laughs> <laughs> the NHS needs you, Dr. Scriven. <laughs> I've been calculating my pension. It's about mm, <laughs> six years. <laughs> And then you can join the NHS reserves or whatever has been advertised then. Yeah, there'll um, be another COVID that you'll get recruited back into. <laughs> I've run out of Greek letters by then. Yeah. All right. Thanks very much, Nick. Thanks. Mike. Thank you both. Great. Cheers. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Society for Acute Medicine podcast. We hope this episode has been interesting and helpful for you all. Please do go to the SAM website at www.acutemedicine.org.uk for all things acute medicine, including show notes from today's episode under the education menu. You will also find more info about acute medicine, the team and how to contact us individually. Please do get in touch with us via Twitter using at acutemedpod and let us know what you thought, as well as topics you'd love to see us explore in future episodes, or if you'd like to just get involved. 
Thanks again for listening and we hope you join us next time. 